Truck Month is on now. Get 1.49% financing for up to 72 months on a 2022 Chevrolet Silverado 1500. Plus, eligible Costco members can receive a $750 bonus on select trucks. Conditions apply. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Episode 200, guys. Here we are. 200 episodes in on the Pesky Report. I'm Ed Hand. I'm joined by Brandon Brewer, Brad Chandler, and the one, the only, Stat Masterson. Alex Spear himself has joined us today to talk about what's been going on with free agency. It's uh, If you're on Britain Sox Twitter right now, it's it, it's kind of a mess. How are you doing, Alex? I am. Uh, I'm. I'm honored. Honestly, you know, a nice round number like 200. That's uh, that's a huge accomplishment by you guys. That's incredible that you guys have um, have pumped out that many episodes and have been keeping the conversation going. So, uh, Mazel Tov. Uh, appreciate Mazel that. Tov. <laughs> we'll we'll have to make this a tradition. So now, whenever we hit 300, we'll have to have to go back <laughs> to that one as well. All right, man. I'm in. So um, awesome. I, I also just forgot, I did what Brady always does, and I forgot to say we're presented by Belly Up Sports, but just saying that now. Um, so before we get started in, you know, all of the, the Red Sox talk, I do have one question for you that's more of a personal question, Alex. And I'm just curious about your journey to where you are now as a journalist, because I was going through and asked me anything you did on Reddit uh, last night, and you mentioned that it was uh, not the most traditional path that you took. So I'm just curious how you how you started and how you ended up on the Globe. Um, long, circuitous path, I suppose. Uh, I never wrote about sports um, until I was about 25 years old. Uh, I did travel writing while I was in college. Um, I thought that that was where my career was going to lie. Um, I, what looked like an opportunity materializing in that field uh, ended up kind of um, withering away. And uh, and so um, one of the people I had been involved in a project with uh, on the travel writing side had a different internet startup that was uh, going down. This is like way back in the ancient days of the late 90s and early 2000s. And so um, I uh, took a job out of college so that I could uh, so that I could pay bills for a while. And um, the company wasn't exactly uh, going gangbusters. It was pretty clear that it was going to be fading. And so I started thinking, what do I want to do next? Um, I had always been, you know, spent my time around sports. I had uh, volunteered for uh, to get uh, to uh, ingest radioactive materials as a uh, as an undergrad in order to be able to take part in psych experiments and fund tickets to uh, to Fenway Park. Um, and so I, I thought that, you know, if I'm doing if I'm if I'm if I'm absorbing radioactivity for the sake of going to see baseball games, Maybe I should think about this as a, a career choice, and uh, and so I started writing freelance um, at, around that time, and uh, got very lucky to start getting uh, a toe in the door, a foot in the door, 
maybe like a half leg in the door. And ultimately, um, Rob Bradford hired me to work for WEI.com full time after several years as a freelancer. And then finally, uh, the Globe hired me back in 2015. So I feel very lucky um, to be there and to have this career having unfolded. Uh, I'm now in season. I, I just finished my 21st season covering the Red Sox. Um, and that's a uh, fairly unexpected outcome for um, given the first 25 years of my life. Where, if you hadn't uh, ended up, you know, landing what you were able to, what do you think you'd be doing? Um, I, in order to, so when I started out writing about baseball, it was as a freelancer. So I wasn't getting paid like for shit. And so I was trying to, to make ends meet. Uh, I worked in academic administration. Um, I worked at, uh, in university hall at Harvard. Um, and that was great. I loved it. Uh, I loved the people I was around. Um, and there were a number of times when I was starting out in my first six or seven years on the beat when I thought that maybe I would um, pursue that as a career because uh, it was a great environment. I liked the people I was around um, and I wasn't sure if I was ever going to get a full-time job writing about baseball, but uh, Rob Bradford to the rescue. So, you know, so, here I am. So basically we have to thank Rob Bradford. We, we always have to thank Rob Bradford. The great, the great Brad foe is always uh, thankable. Because baseball isn't boring. <laughs> uh that is an that is an, a sometimes debatable premise but uh but it, it, it's all around job is never boring well appreciate it so where just where do you think we're at right now as far as free agency goes do you think the red sox are going to be making a move there do you think they're going to be going through the trade market where do you think the state of the offseason is well to say a move like I, I still I don't think that they're going to, you know, having gotten having watched Xander Bogarts walk away. Uh, I don't think it's going to be um, a kind of transformative moment where they uh, look inward and say, oh, my gosh, we need to reconsider everything about what we're doing. Let's go spend five hundred million dollars on Carlos Correa. I don't think that's happening. Um, I, I think that you will still see them continue to make moves in both the trade market uh, or in the in the trade market and the free agent market. Um, but I don't think that they're going to be, you know, I think that kind of the high end, is it possible? I, I'm still skeptical that they'll get involved in nine figure. I'm, I'm skeptical that they'll make a nine figure deal at this point. I wouldn't rule it out entirely for someone who falls kind of below the Bogarts line, right? Like, I think that the, you know, I, the the offer that I reported was six years and 160-ish million dollars for Bogarts. Um, I can't envision them personal, personally. Uh, going past that in terms of level of commitment um, in free agent market, anything south of that, maybe it becomes in play. I'm sure that they'll check in on Dan B. Swanson. I'm sure that they'll, you know, keep an eye on on Carlos Rodon. But they still have multiple needs that they're trying to address. Um, so I, I think that, you know, they've been. There's a reason why they've consistently been connected to more mid rotation starters or guys who are kind of number five starters with the upside of a, of a three or a two, you know, like Andrew Heaney. I mean, that guy can be anything if he's healthy. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I think that I, I don't, I don't think that they're going to suddenly pivot and say, okay, you know what? $300 million is a great way to go. Uh, so already answered kind of one elephant in the room question. My, uh, my question for you is how likely is it? Do you think that they're going to, get an extension done with Devers? Great question. Uh, ooh, I'm like 
it's like there's a strobe light party on my uh, in, in the way that I'm appearing. That's exciting. Um, I, I would say uh, I, I guess that there's like a lot of anticipation for what's going to happen with Devers. Boom, boom, boom. Um, so uh, I, I I feel like they are they they're kind of they're they're hedging a little bit in terms of their public comments. I do feel like um, I do feel like this has been a bit of an object lesson in oh this is going to go to places that we didn't imagine. And I think that. Um, they maybe had felt uh, as if Devers um, was misreading the market. And I think that maybe it seems a little bit more likely in conversations today uh, that they may have been, um, that they may have underestimated where the market was going to go on Devers and everyone else. Um, I think a lot of people in baseball have been going through that. So uh, I, I, I still, th- I, I think that Devers is where they is, is where they pivot, right? They kind of have to. They need something to have. They need anchors. They need anchors to build going forward. Um, they they need to. I mean, if you look at the next couple of free agent classes, like if they, I, I can't imagine that all of a sudden they're going to outbid the Dodgers and the Yankees on Shohei Otani when he hits free agency, right? Um, and then Manny Machado is going to be back up next off season. Are they suddenly going to decide to commit three hundred million dollars to him for all of the rest of his thirties? I don't know. They they care about age. They care about the end age of players. Um, I, I feel like Devers is where I, you know, th- this is just, you know, this is based on nothing, but I, I feel like they they figure out a way. They kind of swallow hard and, and get Devers done. I have a question from our YouTube page from Aaron Brook. Uh, if not Dansby or Correa, who's the next best thing or do we move story to shortstop? Yeah, I think there's a real likely. I mean, I think that it's going to be a very flexible approach to, you know, their what they what they want is is a guy up the middle, and maybe that's in center field because they can move uh, Kike Hernandez back onto the dirt either at second or short. Um, they could be at shortstop; that would be the obvious turnkey solution. It could be at second base and flip Story over uh, to shortstop and keep Kike uh, in center field, but. Um, I, I think that there are a lot of different directions that that can go. Uh, I'm not sure if they're going, I'm not sure if, if they want to, you know, commit seven years to Dansby Swanson, right. And, uh, and then decide and then kind of lock up that position. I'm not sure if he's, um, he's the star where you really, you know, I, I think that probably you would grade him as being not the same player that story was a year ago. Um, he's probably going to cost more than story did a year ago. Uh, could you do something that's, um, that's a little bit more short term, um, and I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe you would think of a Gene Segura at second base, and then you would flip Story over to shortstop. Maybe you would explore the trade market for. I mean, you're going to continue to explore the trade market for a guy like Brian Reynolds, but the asking price is going to be super duper high. So I don't know how far that gets you, but um, yeah, I think that you know they'll surely explore the market uh, for a player like Willie Adamas and see where that takes them. Um, I, I think that there are a lot of different paths uh, and they're probably going to, you know, I, I think that it's it's a little it's almost impossible to handicap what they're going to do because they don't just say, you know, this is the target and then have the Dombrowski model of target acquired. They say, OK, this is a target and this is another target and this is another target and this is another target. And let's figure out what each of those cost. Um, they, they, you know. For them now, it's always a sliding scale of what the player brings versus the cost, as opposed to Dombrowski, where it was 
this is the guy who fits. It's a good way to look at it. I think it's it, they they analyze the cost analysis a lot more than the Debra, the Dombrowski method. Yeah, well, Dombrowski was always of the mind that you know he he discussed this recently in trades. Uh, he said it's not about winning the trade; it's about getting the right player. And sometimes, player, if you yeah. give up, you know, if you give up a significant cost for that, that's okay. Like you're in the business of trying to get good players and get the team that you want to get, and so there's an acquisition cost, and that's okay. Uh, it's okay not to try to win a trade. It's okay to to try to get a player. Yeah. I mean, look yeah. what he's doing in Philly right now. So, target yeah, acquired. There's a variety of types of trades that you see, these smaller scale ones and then these bigger scale ones where it's a contender trying to get, um, as you said, the position that they need to go over the limit. So I guess, no, that makes a lot of sense. But who who do you think might be just like on, you mentioned a couple of the names that we've seen floating around, William Adamas, um, but who might be some more under the radar players that the Reds, you could see the Red Sox targeting? And is it Jess? I mean, just, surely they're going to be, uh, Sorry? And is it jazz chism? You jazz? You're looking for you're looking for them to jump into the jazz chism chase. Yeah, I think that uh, I, I'm going out on a limb in guessing that the Marlins are pretty psyched about having him. Although, like, how awesome is that jazz chism Zach Gallon trade? That just like you know, look back at that one. That's amazing. When you look at just a straight prospect for prospect trade and two guys becoming absolutely like mesmerizingly awesome players, I that's what I think is kind of missing from the Red Sox operational model. You have. In the last in the 21st century, you've never seen a trade like that. Uh, that's just kind of like a prospect for prospect challenge trade, and one in which you can take a position of strength and try to address one. You know, try to take a potential redundancy. I mean, I, I think that that would be. I would. I would be really interested to see the Red Sox making that kind of trade with some of the up the middle, uh, up the middle depth that they have in their minor league system. That's really where the strength of their system now lies. The problem is that so much of it is kind of far away, except for a Sedan Rafaela, who's, you know, that's that's a guy who can be in the big leagues as a center fielder with the ability to play middle infield next year, like late next year. Um, obviously, as a glove first guy, he has some value, uh, some not considerable value on the trade market. But um, I don't know whether or not you would take him and try to, you know, acquire a short a shortstop with him, or even, you know, shoot, if you look at how the, uh, if you look at how the Sean Murphy deal unfolded, uh, the component that had uh, that had Contreras going to Milwaukee, uh, with Milwaukee parting ways with um, a really fast defensively oriented center fielder, like you kind of wonder whether or not the Red Sox might have maybe tried to get in, involved in uh, in something like that to get Contreras rather than Murphy, uh, where it seemed like the asks were um, weren't really lining up with the A's. There was a report yesterday that uh, Ken Rosenthal had that. Um... Pyam Bloom was being very aggressive in his um, in, in trade proposals, trade offers. But it seems like we haven't seen, and I mean, the trade market's been super slow as it is, but it doesn't really seem like we've uh, seen a lot of results with that. And just given the state of how things are with fan reaction right now, is there a reason that there hasn't been more urgency shown? Well, there hasn't been a trade market yet. So I, I think that, you know, the, like Chaim Bloom has talked about his like his eagerness to see uh, the trade markets starting to form in a way that deal making is happening um, in his description. He's, he's talked about this uh, a fair amount over the last couple of days. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, like 
the free agent frenzy just dominated everything that was going on uh, at the winter meetings. Um, so now, uh, Ed, it's kind of awesome to watch you like panicking about your pets. <laughs> is, is this situation under control? Sort of. She's a- very angry at something that's outside of her apartment she, right am now. Am I pissing her off? Like, do I anger your dog? <laughs> You might be. I don't know. Her hearing's pretty good. She can probably hear this whole thing. I don't know. Maybe she doesn't. Uh, she doesn't like what you're saying. Part of part of the part of the fan outrage uh, in the in the wake of uh, in the wake of the Red Sox uh, actions and non actions this off season, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I think that you know Bloom has <laughs> Bloom, Bloom said that his his hope is that now that the tr- the free agent market is um, a bit more picked over, uh, that you are going to see the trade market kind of trade market activating. So you expect to see I also I also should add this. Um, they they want to see you know they're really interested in exploring trades, but we don't see exactly like a lightning round of, of trades happening. Trades move pretty slowly and methodically these days um, across Major League Baseball and certainly with the Red Sox. So we had uh, we had somebody on our YouTube page. Uh, uh, wanted to ask a question. Uh, Michael Friedman, he says, uh, it's clear that the Sox just aren't willing to be spenders in the current market. Uh, this has been true for years, evidenced by the hiring of Bloom and Trevor Story being their only big signing sense. They are definitely not conducting business the way all the Tier 1 teams are, which is obvious. Why? And question for Fenway Group? I don't know what that means. <laughs> It's, he's. I think he's saying it's probably more a question for the Fenway group than it is for Alex, but we'll give Alex a crack at trying to answer. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Shopify presents cool sheets from aha to lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat induced insomnia. That was my aha moment. Bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible. Signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Sure. Um, I think that what you've seen is that in, you know, certainly in, let, so let's look at the different off seasons. Like the first off season that Bloom comes on board, first of all, they're trying to get away from the Dombrowski model, right? Where, right. In which uh, there the Red Sox were willing to set the market. They were willing to set the market in terms of free agent spending with our David Price, um, and obviously with a J.D. Martinez, um, and they were willing to set the trade market by pushing, you know, into the middle uh, a top, you know, a top five prospect in all of minor league baseball, um, as well as another top 20 in Michael Kopech. 
uh, with some other guys who are really liked. Um, that doesn't really seem to be the prevailing uh, way of doing business uh, anymore. Um, but I think that, you know, you're seeing in the, you've, so anyway, uh, 2020 to 2020 or the 2019 to 2020 off season blooms first. Um, the Red Sox are basically saying we've, destroyed every other team in spending for uh, a couple of straight years. We need to get back under the tax threshold so that we can eventually get back over it. Um, reset the penalty rates. Fine. That's been their operating business model for 20 years, right? Like that's right. very consistent with how they've been. They, they always spend, spend, and then pull back a little bit in order to get back under the penalties. So, uh, well, <laughs> fine, but uh, fine in, in on paper, but that requires the trade of Mookie Betts and David Price. So that's a mess of an offseason, which they are not putting money down uh, to try to uh, to try to add players. So, you know, that's that's the responsibility Bloom has given uh, a kind of nasty first uh, first offseason at that. But, you know, that's the price of taking the job. Uh, the next offseason, they have a decent amount of money to spend, right? Fifty-ish million dollars, sixty million dollars, something like that. And that one was a spread the table approach because they had so many needs. Um, to me, that's the there's a lot of this offseason that reminds me of the 2020 slash 21 offseason, which is to say money to spend in both of them, right? Like they have they had significant amounts of money that was coming off the books. Uh, they also have so they have money to spend. But in both cases, a lot of needs to address them. Um, and I think that there, I think that Bloom's preferred approach, and I don't, I don't think that this is uh, unique to, I don't, I don't think that this is intrinsic to how the Red Sox do business. But when there are a lot of needs, I think that he would rather try to address all of them reasonably well, rather than trying to address one of them with with the lion's share of those resources and kind of leaving the other spots in the roster uh, maybe. Um, less, uh, may, maybe less filled. So to me, that's what you're seeing. I think that if you get to a point where the plate, where the, where the farm system is, uh, is more robust in terms of being able to provide ans- homegrown answers to a lot more of the roster needs, um, or if you have, you just have more pieces pinned down, then I think you might see some bigger swings, um, in terms of what they're going after contractually, uh, what they were trying to do with Bogarts wasn't nothing, right? Like, you know, don't take for granted their, you know, the, where they got to it, like, that would have been a very interesting starting point for Bogarts. And I, I wonder if he would still be around had they, uh, had they started where they ended uh, last spring, but, um, but they're, so they're willing to spend there's uh, there's, you know, but it's just a question of pushing of they've been burned to a, to a degree, right? They just had to like, the David Price type contracts um, force them to trade Mookie bets. So I think that they're a little bit leery of going for those of just like shrugging off the seventh through 11th years of a contract. Maybe they should, I don't know, maybe, but you know, they've, they have been around for long enough as owners uh, in this front office has been around for long enough to see the deleterious effect it can have on roster building when you make those commitments that go really, really bad in the last few years. But Again, cost of doing business. Otherwise, if you want to avoid those types of contracts and still get great players, then you better like be willing to spend a whole hell of a lot on the front, let's say, five to six years for a superstar like the Dodgers w- did with Freddie Freeman. I appreciate that you said that this ownership group has been around long enough. They've been around long enough to bring multiple World Series to Boston. That's something that a lot of these teams that are spending these massive contracts haven't been able to to actually generate for their teams. You look at the Padres, they've spent a ton of money 
nothing to show for it. The Mets, they've spent a ton of well, money. Well, they've recently show for spent it. a ton of money. Like for the Lions, you know, for uh, up until Peter Seidler, they were they were on the other end of the spending spectrum. Um, Fair. So they they started going in big time in what in, 2019 in recent years, Chicago. right? Yeah. Yeah. Which was a great signing, by the way. Like unbelievably good signing. But but yeah, to that I mean, point, that the, yeah, spending a you're, lot you're, of money on on one player typically isn't the best approach. The the spread it out and get a bunch of quality guys is a, a more proven method. Well, you'd like to be able to do both, right? And the way to have your cake and eat it too is by having a bunch of awesome young players who are still either pre arbitration or arbitration eligible uh, as your foundation, and then you can afford to take some swings. That's what we saw. Uh, that's what we saw when the Red Sox had gotten through 2015, where you saw this emerging amazing core of, you know, Mookie and Xander plus Jackie Bradley, like, you know, kind of exploding late in that season. And the incredibly promising Henry Owens and Eduardo Rodriguez um, and all kinds of young talent uh, that positioned them, you know, that put them in a great position to be able to say, Record-setting contract for David Price, yeah, like the payroll could really afford that pretty well because uh, because of how many yeah. guys were producing at an outrageous level um, and weren't making very much money. But uh, yeah, I think that I, I do think that long-range planning informs a lot of what the Red Sox do because um, they've you know because that's that that's been a part of their ethos uh, over the course of championship runs now. They also have to wear the fact that it's it's gotten them five last place finishes, and it is incredible to think that uh, the Reds. So, the Red Sox had gone from 1932 until 2012 without a single last place finish. Crazy, five in the last 11 years now. So they kind of have to wear that too. But um, but uh, you know they've what what a weird 11 years it's been. I, I didn't even know where to go with that. Peaks and valleys. But you mentioned the minor league system quite a bit there, and I think that that's something that um, Bloom was brought in to do as well, is to help repair the farm system, which had been, you know, and a lot of the, it had been depleted. Um, and a lot of that was to get to 2018. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people would trade that, but at some point you do have to start rebuilding that. And um, where do you think the rebuild for the farm system is at right now? I would say that uh, it's definitely past the 50-yard line, um, maybe in field goal range. Like, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I think that I, I would probably guess that they're, you know, that they're around a top 10-ish farm system, but they're not uh, they're not at the very top of it. Um, what you see is uh, a few standout um, a few standout position players. Uh, you know, obviously Marcelo Meyer is going to like looks like there's every reason to believe he's going to be very, very good. And maybe you're talking about him at the end of 2024, early 2025. Uh, that dude is that, that, that dude has the chance to be an anchor. Um, Tristan Cassis, the arrival of Tristan Cassis and Brian Bayo is pretty significant for the Red Sox. Uh, they're the first players of that caliber uh, since the first prospects of that caliber, since Devers came up in 2017, they're not up to De up to the Devers level, but they're, they're good. They're well, really good. I mean, Bayo, like, what was the last pitching prospect completely developed by the Red Sox? It was, must have been Buckles, right? Uh, yeah, I think that, you know, you probably would you, you would have Bayo well ahead of Bard when he came up. You would have him um, significantly ahead of Masterson, uh, although, you know, Masterson was sneaky awesome. 
you know, I, the one thing I would say is that Eduardo Rodriguez was regarded uh, was regarded like immensely highly uh, at the time that he came up. Although uh, obviously he wasn't he wasn't a pure homegrown player, um, having been acquired in the uh, in the Andrew Miller trade when he was in Double A. But um, you know he was like if if Brian Bayo can become what Eduardo Rodriguez was, then that's pretty good. Yeah, but then there are a few other guys a bit lower down that are, you know, we talked about San on Raphael a little bit. He's going to be either start the season at double A AA or triple A. But the guys that I'm more excited about, I think, are probably triple A. Probably triple A for Raphael. You think it's going to be true? Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, I do. But- I do. He spent a lot of time in double A. The, you know, the, the experience in Puerto Rico is going to have played in the WBC at a pretty high level. So, um, so yeah, my guess is that Rafael opens in triple A. But lower down, like Salem. Miguel Blaise, uh, Blaise, um, Mikey Romero, the first round pick from last year, Roman Anthony, Luis Perales. Are these, these, this seems like the new class of the Reds, of the Red Sox farm now. And they seem to be, at least from as, as long as I've been following the minor league system, this has been the most talented group in a long time there. Um, I would say that this is the most talented group to come through since the 2015, 2016 yeah. group, uh, that went through. now. I don't think it's as talented as that group. Like I, there's a reason why I started writing a book in 2015 and it ended up becoming uh, a book about a championship caliber core. Um, and it's because like, I got to go down to Greenville and I got to just look around and be like, what, what is this? Like Yohan Moncada, the most, you know, expensive prospect in, uh, in baseball history uh, is might not be the best player on the best big leaguer on this team that uh, it might not be the third best player on this team. Right. Like it ended up being, you know, Moncada and Devers and Benintendi and Michael Kopech and, um, you know, and a lot of guys who are, I mean, Michael Chavis was part of that team. Uh, Jalen Beeks uh, was sneaky good as part of that team. Anyway, uh, I digress. But, um, oh, Mauricio Dubon, Javier Guerra, I, I, I continue to digress. So uh, that, that group was incredible. Um, I was down in Salem this year, or I, I watched Salem for a series uh, in Charleston, South Carolina this year, and they're super impressive. But... Uh, the tools like Meyer is awesome. Like the three games that I, the the look that I had at him uh, over the course of a few games was about as good as I uh, about as good a look at a Red Sox prospect as I've ever had. Just in terms of like I hit the timing nail on the head. I just got happened to hit, get there when uh, when he was just locked in, and it was very impressive to see. Um, but behind him, the the players that are behind him, you know, the Edinson Paulinos and the you know and the uh, the Brainer Bonasis are uh, are nice players. Like they're not like they're not. They, you don't give them a pathway to stardom. And Blaze is the only one in that group who you mentioned. Where uh, Miguel Blaze is a guy who has a chance to be a true star, but there are significant questions about the hit tool. Oh, Penny didn't like that again. I'm sorry. Um, and uh, she yeah, doesn't like Miguel... Blaze apparently. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, she is uh, no scout. I'll tell you that. Um, so, uh, yeah, Blaze is the Blaze is the one guy who you look at and you say, like, that guy has a chance to be uh, to be a real star. The other players, like Mikey Romero uh, in Nick York, kind of look like they have a chance to be maybe above average big leaguers, um, depending on you know depending on how things progress. Maybe better than that, but there there are wide ranges of possible outcomes um, with them. Uh, so it's a, a lot a it's going to matter a lot to the Red Sox how that group develops over the next uh, over the next twelve months, and that will determine 
a lot, whether or not their uh, their efforts, whether or not this uh, this farm system progress like hits hyperdrive uh, in maybe a couple of years, and where and where you would get to a point where the Red Sox have just a a pipeline that's flooding, or maybe or if if it's like an uh, pretty good, but you know not quite doing what they need to do. In which case, they're going to have to have some very creative solutions uh, to figuring out how to be long term awesome. I have a I have a serious question for you. Let's uh, no shit. None it, of these were hit, serious. No, none, none <laughs> of them. The, so, these are just been for fun. <laughs> okay, great. The warm up back. Brad, you're on, man. Pivot over to the shortstop questions again. Uh, there was a post recently uh, by a Twitter handle. Uh, not going to say it, but uh, the Red Sox are seriously considering Emmanuel Valdez as their shortstop second baseman. Uh, to start the 2023 season. I've heard Ed's uh, state statement. I've heard Chris's statement from uh, Sox prospects. I want to, I want to hear what you have to say about that. Um, to quote one of the great philosophers of our time, Dwight Schrute, false. <laughs> I mean, Valdez, Valdez can barely hold down second base. Uh, and you know, I think that there are major positional questions. Uh, I think that he's a bat first guy where like you would kind of tolerate uh, if if he if he rakes like he did in the first half of this year, not after he got traded to the Red Sox, but in the first half of this year, then uh, then you might look past the bat and stick him at second every now and again, um, while also exploring third base and left field and just doing what you can to kind of hide the glove a little bit. Um, but gosh. Not shortstop. No. What are your thoughts on Yoshida? Going to be really interesting. Uh, I, I think that that's a it's a it's a kind of gutsy signing to step out on a limb and uh, and just like if you see Scott Boris reaching a deal like five minutes into free agency, then you've really stepped up and helped the rest of the market in a way that uh, in a, in a way that's pretty surprising. Um, that said. I think the value, of, like by by the accounts that I've heard, I I obviously have very limited experience with him. I've been trying to you know to get feedback from uh, from the scouting world and the end analysts uh, who have greater familiarity with him. If you have a uh, a left-handed hitter at Fenway Park who has incredible contact skills, uh, who's able to handle a variety of pitch types, and who's able to and who's able to be uh, very intentionally an all fields guy, someone who can drive the ball uh, with loft to the opposite field, then you have the opportunity to really have uh, to really reap, you know, a great performer, right? Like we saw with a, let's think back to like a Bill Miller winning the batting championship. And obviously Bill Miller was a switch hitter, but did most of his damage uh, as a left-handed hitter, because when he got to Fenway park, what he was able to do with the left field wall was unbelievable. Right. And like, if you, this is, you know, everyone agrees that Yoshida uh, is that the hit tool is phenomenal, right? That this is a guy who can put the ball in play, who is who can handle velocity. He's he's hit against the best hitters in Japan, against the best pitchers in Japan. Um, and so, what you know, I, I think that you see, you hear a lot of very, you hear a lot of different ranges of uh, of outcomes for him as a hitter. Um, I think that. The, the pure hit tool, right, if you talk about the 20 to 80 scale in scouting, where 50 is average, uh, you're talking about at least like a 55, 60 on the hit tool, 
Uh, and then the power, you'll hear anywhere from maybe 40 to 55. But at Fenway Park, like it could really play as like a 50 to 60, depending on, you know, depending on how. So the Red Sox step, the Red Sox were willing to step out on a limb uh, and they were willing to set the market on this guy. There was obviously tremendous surprise uh, at the winter meetings, like almost immediately, um, you know, I, I heard the same kind of stuff that ESPN did where um, teams were like, like the player, didn't think that he would get half of this amount, but like the player and... Uh, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner you know we'll see it's a you know is is this is this Rusne castillo or is this going to be uh or is this going to be you know an absolute lord is this jose abreu i guess and i don't mean like apples to apples in terms right, of how right, this guy's right. on in terms of but, in terms of hitting on setting you know on i'm bidding hard yeah it's it's interesting that you mentioned the type of player he is with the um with Fedway because it does seem like they've been bringing in guys since uh since bloom uh, came came in that had a similar skill set when you look at Alex Verdugo and even Reese McGuire lefties that can go the opposite field and should i mean I look at Verdugo and I remember when he came over all I like to think was this guy's gonna hit forty five home uh, doubles and you know hit like about three twenty um does that is that an intentional design on the on the part of the team? in that type of that style of player i mean i think that you see two different things uh in terms of the types of uh, the types of hitters that they've acquired you either see guys who can really take advantage of left field uh they've been pretty heavy on that whether it's pull hitters like hunter renfro or whether it's or whether it is all fields hitters like an alex verdugo um it's worth noting that uh that those guys also showed the ability to handle premium velocity right 95 plus so they care about that and then they also care a lot. If you look at the profile, excuse me, please, of the guys who they've been going after, they like guys who hit the ball hard. Uh, they like the they like the Jose Abreu's of the world, and um, you'll find that they're they get pretty involved in the bidding for uh, most of the guys who show that upper range of exit velocities. With that being said, we have a glaring hole at a DH position. Should we expect a revolving door? For a DH, uh, for at least for the first part of the season, or do you think that that's something that they're going to address? They're going to get a right-handed bat, and I don't know. Uh, I don't know whether or not that's going to be someone who's primarily a DH, um, or whether or not you know maybe that ends up being they. They want a kind of middle of the order right-handed bat, um, and what what exact form that takes, I'm not sure. You could have uh, you could have a signing that would uh, that would you know, steer Yoshida perhaps more towards DH. Um, although I think that he's, 
they're comfortable with him as either the left fielder or as a left fielder slash DH. But um, yeah, I'm, I, I think that that, that one is TBD. Like I don't, it's, there's not a, there's not a single blueprint. Again, it's kind of what we talked about. Like everything is multivariable. Uh, everything is okay. Who else do we have? So what does that leave us an opportunity to do? And, you know, uh, if, if there's, if JD Martinez comes back at one year and 3 million, you know, one year and 7 million bucks or something, uh, then I guess they have a full-time DH, but uh, we'll see exactly, you know, we'll see exactly. I, I, I can't tell you what they're going to do with the DH. Do you see the signing of, oh, of the reason for that is because we've already seen what happens when they do identify a plan A. They don't necessarily <laughs> execute it. So it doesn't happen. I, I, guess on, <laughs> I guess on what they're trying to do. Well, that's part of the fun of the offseason is guessing, though, Alex. That, that's what we're here for. It is. It is. It is totally. And like I've I've gotten, I think, a little bit better about identifying potential targets for them. Um, and but I like I, I still find that like there are plenty of times when the dart misses the board entirely. Do you see um, the acquisition of um, of Kenley Jansen, who was officially signed today, um, you, with how the bullpen was last year? Would you do you think that they had finished? building up the pen or do you think that there are more moves to do uh i think it can go either way i, th- I feel like you know at the very least you'll probably see them trying to find like you know oh this is a reliever you've never heard of who has like a one pitch that moves in a really strange way and can't throw it for strikes but they'll want to get their hands on him and see if they can figure out a way to get him to throw strikes with it um i, I think that there's uh there's maybe some of that around uh But I I think that all of that is going, I think that they're open to further to another bullpen addition. Um, Chaim Bloom said last week at the at the winter meetings that um, that they had entered the offseason, hoping to add three or four relievers. They've added three so far. So we'll see whether or not uh, there's a fourth or whether or not um, or whether or not their commitments end up taking them in another direction. So I'm going to ask a question from one of our um, our cast members that could not be here today. Uh, this is from Ryan Brady. Um, he wants to know why has ownership been so distant in the last few years? Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, I feel like um, my guess is that uh, is that these is that they reached a determination that. Um, that they were uh, they were accomplishing very little by uh, by being available, even if it was for the uh, for the once a year um, you know exercise of uh, sitting around like you know mostly they would give answers that were you know if they gave answers that were like they gave in they gave candid answers after they uh, after they fired Dave Dombrowski where. John Henry said, yeah, we're probably going to be getting under the luxury tax threshold this year. And, you know, there's a decent chance that we're going to be like he was honest, right? Like he was honest and forthright about it. And then, uh, you know, they and it's not like that won him any goodwill or, um, you know, any repository of goodwill. So uh, ultimately, I think that there's they've reached over the course of these, you know, over the course of these 20 years, a conclusion that um, that the perception of them matters far less than whether or not the franchise is winning or losing. We like to know that they care. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I I think that, you know, that's fair. Like, I think that, I I think that you, you know, I I think from a, from a, I I would think, you know, from a fan or reporter standpoint, 
uh, there would certainly be an interest in knowing like, okay, so exactly how, you know, are you, you know, are you just outsourcing these decisions? Are you simply delegating and along for the ride? Like, you know, are you the one who's saying like, don't make this move? Um, yeah. But uh, I think ultimately, like ultimately there is a, there is a bottom line here. And if the team is playing really well and, you know, and they're not talking, then, um, then no one really cares about how accessible they are. But if they stink and they're not talking, then people do because uh, we're trying to identify the different ways in which things have gone askew. Last time I saw them uh, at a at a presser or whatever uh, was the 2020 uh, Red Sox winter winter weekend. I think it was. Yeah. You think they'll be there this year? Great question. Don't know the answer to that, but you know that's a that is a kind of. Um, that, that is a kind of controlled setting, right? And, uh, you know, it's, it is, um, you know, I, 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 I'm curious, I've been curious about that. I, I've been curious about that. I will be curious about that. Will you be there? I will. Yes. I'll be See there. My, uh, I, I, my, I now have, uh, my, I have two sons and the younger one, uh, just became very excited about baseball. So, uh, so he's kind of making me go to cover it. So that he can, uh, so that he can have, uh, so that he can have an opportunity to go. Good man. That's that's awesome. I can't imagine if my if my dad had that kind of access to any team when I was a kid, I would be, I would just be constantly trying to use it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I hope that my son isn't trying to exploit my uh, my job. I, I can assure you that that uh, both of them uh, in uh, in going plenty of times without seeing me uh, view it as um, it's a it's a qualified. Uh, it's they they. They generally like it, and like I try to, I try to involve them with it to whatever degree I can. But uh, they also recognize that it has its, uh, its, 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 its challenges for family life. So, Dad, when are you going to bring us up to the box to meet Ob and Yuke? <laughs> yeah, I was uh, my 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 son. Uh, my sons went to a game at the end of the year, like when it was like X last couple of games. They were like, "Oh, are you going to bring us up to Nesson to meet Ek? And I was like, "He's not the not the time." Not the time, man. He's uh, he's got he's got stuff going on. He's got to like pour his heart out while reliving his biography. <laughs> every game, um, every game, we, every game. Before we get into the Twitter questions, I know we're getting close to our timeline. Uh, I do want to ask: Do you have any good Jerry Remy stories that you could share with us? Um, gosh, I, I think that the like foremost was simply like the fact of getting to sit there with him. And like, he was just like, so locked in on baseball. Like it changed the way that I watched the game because when you're sitting in a press box, um, you're looking at your keyboard, then you're looking at the game and then you're looking at your keyboard and like pitch to pitch, just sitting next to him was like, I, I recognize the privilege of sitting in the booth um, for that inning and how much you had to be mindful of the details of the game in order to uh, in order to fully appreciate, you know, in order to fully appreciate what was going on. But um, I just, he was just, he was so funny (laughs) and uh, and you would just, you know, it it was, he, it's, it's kind of, it's, everyone knows this, but um, his passion for the game, his passion for uh, his passion for watching the game and sharing the game, um, was truly remarkable. And like, you would just get texts from out of nowhere asking about details when he wasn't there. And, you know, just the, the level of interest was, um, was immense. And I, like on a very, you know, on a kind of selfish level, there was, 
like it when you know his book and my book uh came out at, at similar times um maybe about a year apart but i i really you know i i enjoyed i made sure that i let him know how much i enjoyed him sharing what he did uh in such a personal fashion um but i, I took it as one of the greatest compliments i got about uh, about homegrown um when he you know he came up to me at a certain point like maybe a few weeks after it had been published and he said there was a lot that you had in there that I didn't know about and like I was really uh surprised by and I took that as an incredible compliment because if you're talking about someone who knew the Red Sox it was Jerry yeah that's awesome so we're gonna get to the uh some of our Twitter questions now um this one is from someone that goes by Grinky Troy and it's do you think uh, that Trevor Story's arm strength will come back enough to a degree that he can play shortstop. We'll find out, maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one way to know for sure. Yeah, I, I do think that uh, with him, the arm strength is a little... I, I think that he puts his body in a position to shorten the throws a little bit uh, to the point where you know he, he throws on the run. This is something that my colleague Julian McWilliams had really locked in on early in his Red Sox tenure. Um, so he's he's always shortened the distance between where he fields the ball and first base, um, and his range is really good. So uh, by virtue of that, like the arm strength metrics that exist on him, which are troubling, um, th- there's a little qualification to that. But, uh, you know, certainly he's very diligent in terms of his arm strength program. I did think that any time he ranged across the bag last year, or if he was in the shift and he was on and he was on the uh, he was on the left side of the bag. Uh, I thought that you know he there weren't many times when you looked and you were like, oh that that was weak sauce. Like that arm strength didn't play. Uh, I thought that he looked like he his clock was really good and he made the plays that when he got to the ball he made the throws. So um, that was so I'm open minded about it, even though I am not entirely convinced of it. And uh, yeah, I mean. The proof is in the tasting of the pudding. We'll find out if he actually goes over there. So this one is from uh, SM from 902, and it's, are you, Alex, in fact, the Twitter account known as Red Sox Stats? (laughs) I've I've enjoyed the mystery surrounding this because I view it as immensely flattering, but I suppose I should just say, I I should just come come clean and say no. No, I'm not. That's Uh, something that Stats would say. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I think that I think that you would see better research in most of my articles if I were if I were uh, if I were him or her. Some have theorized that stats is AI, also. So who knows what they are? <laughs> um, I, I hope not. Otherwise, like we're totally screwed if that's the case. <laughs> uh, so this one is from Brian Riggs, and it's how likely is it that Devers gets traded? Um, I consider it extremely unlikely. Um, but, uh, I like, again, I, I, I tend to lean in the direction of, uh, they are going to, they're kind of going to have to just back up the truck. Uh, and I can't, I, I cannot imagine them taking out the last, uh, the, the last player who got a chapter in homegrown. So I'm going to say it's not happening. I have a question before you go go any further, Ed. Yeah. Uh, So there has been some rumors circulating that uh, there's a chance that Verdugo could be traded. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? 
Um, I think that uh, I, 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 I get it. Um, but I think that that would be more of a possibility if they had, uh, if they had outfield surplus. Um, and I, I don't think that they do. I, I think that they, uh, they have too many needs to be subtracting, um, to be subtracting from the major league roster. Like, where do you go to replace them? Like if you trade Verdugo, uh, are you, I guess maybe you trade for Benintendi, but, or like you sign a Benintendi, but Benintendi isn't suit. Like then you have Benintendi and Yoshida and neither of them can play right field. So um, I, I just, I think that it's really difficult for them to put the puzzle together. Thank you. Do we have an, an, an additional question, Brandon? No, um, my son just wanted to share that he got to battle rank 12 on Overwatch. Oh, that's amazing. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah I, told, I told him good we job. Breaking news. Breaking news we have live. Breaking news. <laughs> um, so, Alex, this is um, a question from Peter Arnella, and he has he, he was very deliberate that um, I need to preface this with uh, this introduction. Alex, I am sure you already know that I hold you in the highest esteem as you are by far the best and smartest sports writer covering the Red Sox. My gut tells me you are also a good guy, so please understand that my questions do not reflect any animus on my part towards you. Um, Peter is a lawyer, so I appreciate yes. the fact that he's already covering himself so thoroughly. In this this yes. is great, great intro. Thank you, Peter. Um, now, All right, fire away. Now he um, the first question was off was um, was answered I think earlier but uh, actually I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read it. Um, so the Boston Globe published an article Wednesday evening on its internet edition, clearly saying Bloom was depressed and surprised by Bogarts leaving Boston for San Diego as progress was reported on uh, the Boston Bogarts negotiations that day that that day. I do not remember if it was you or Chris Cotillo who wrote, uh, who got Bloom, the Bloom interview where Bloom said that reporting was an error as the Red Sox knew late Tuesday their offer fell short. Um, in short, sad to lose him, but no way Bloom would match such huge length of 11 years for 30-year-old shortstop. Uh, not acknowledge him, uh, the need to rethink their approach by adopting the Atlanta Whitlock early extensions, I expect. And believe and read this with meaning. Peter wrote Peter took a lot of time with this question, man. Read it, read this with some passion. Okay. Okay, let's do this then. Let's do this then. Do you want me to start from the beginning again? <laughs> no, pick up in the middle. I think I get where it's going. So yeah, keep no just from this point forward. Give me some inflection, okay. man. In this in this free agent inflated market, five years and seventy-five million is a good get for Senga. Why were you outbid again? And were you, uh, you not in the market for Senga? Does the team have, well, I guess we know the answer to this, does the team have real interest in Bassett? Um, yeah, those are the those are the questions. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Here's uh, the other. No, sorry. To answer the first, to end the first one, I missed a line. I respect and believe Bloom. So who was earlier uh, Globe story? Uh, so why was the earlier Globe story so off base? Okay, there we go. So I don't think the earlier Globe story, which was by my colleague Julian McWilliams, and I thought beautifully done to uh, to kind of communicate how a um, a baseball decision maker absorbs a decision, like absorbs the departure of a key player. Um, I don't think it was off base. I, I think that what uh, what Bloom, I mean, you know, Julian was 
Julian, Julian interviewed him at the time, right? Like he talked to him and Bloom was clearly like emotional and shaken by, by the finality of Xander Bogart's leaving. Um, the, what Bloom clarified subsequently uh, was that, uh, was that it wasn't that he was shocked that Bogarts was leaving, but instead it was an intense thing for him to contemplate what that meant for the people in the organization who he was working with, who had known Bogart since he had signed in 2009, and more particularly what it meant for a fan base that was already, like, that was already kind of crushed by the departure of Mookie Betts, what it meant for them to see uh, Bogart's departing. And I think that it was a moment of enormity for Bloom, um, but it the, it was... It was a moment for like where the magnitude and by the way, like you're leaving the winter meetings, you are like fried. You're mentally fried, uh, potentially emotionally fried. You've been in these like in these meeting after meeting after meeting, um, discussing all of these possibilities. Your mind has been going all the time, all the time, all the time. You are cooked. And then on top of that, you walk out the door and you find out you think that you're going to be losing Xander Bogarts. But you find out that like, you know, you're kind of getting these hints of where things are going like, OK, like clearly they're locking in on another team in those last 24 hours, but then boom, 11 years and $280 million. Um, so that's like, you know, that's kind of a, you know, that's kind of a punch in the chin um, on top of just thinking about what, what happened there. So that's my, that's how I reconcile those two things. Um, and I think that Julian did an amazing job and I love working. with him. Uh, And in terms of Senga and Bassett, uh, I, I reported a little bit this on, on this yesterday um, the Red Sox weren't really involved. They were kind of peripherally involved on Senga, but not uh, significantly so. Um, and I think that the, um, there are a couple of things there. I think that one of them is that um, he wasn't a great strike thrower in Japan. And uh, I think that there were a number of teams, um, the, the Reds, I like just speculating. I, I shouldn't say the Red Sox and a number of teams. I, I know that there are teams out there and I don't know if the Red Sox were among them, but I know there were teams out there who believe that there's a serious reliever risk for him really good reliever risk, but think that he's going to be a fastball, uh, a fastball splitter, um, power reliever guy. Um, and there was also some reporting out of Japan yesterday that uh, some teams had injury risk, injury questions about him, some medical questions about him. So um, my guess is that uh, is that a five-year commitment for a pitcher uh, who had those kinds of questions. I, I figure the Red Sox probably one of those two areas, maybe both um, probably influenced why the Red Sox weren't centrally involved. Uh, the other concern, the other question was about Bassett. Red Sox just were never involved. My suspicion is that they didn't see enough separation between Bassett and the other mid-tier of starters, the Evaldis and Wakas of the world, who didn't have a qualifying offer attached to really get heavily involved in it. But that's that's my view. Yeah, that I mean, that was the QO made a lot of sense there for why they'd avoid um, going towards him. He just made so much sense to me as that st- for stability. Um, if he makes that much sense, then maybe the QO doesn't make that much sense is the thing that, you know, that stops them from making deal. But, you know, it's it's obviously it is clearly a relevant part of their decision making right now. What is what is the word on Boston negotiating or talking with uh, Noah Syndergaard, uh, Waka, Kluber or Evaldi? I, I think that um, there's probably conversations happening with. Uh, with, you know, with all of them, right? Like, I think that there, uh, to varying degrees, I wouldn't be shocked if there was some engagement with, uh, with any or certainly, you know, multiple of them. I think that there's at least been check-ins with Avaldi and Waka and Kluber. Uh, I don't have a feel for Syndergaard right now, 
Um, but uh, you know, they're looking, they're looking to add a starter. They, uh, they are clearly looking to add a starter thus far. Uh, the guys where they, with whom they got uh, pretty far down the road um, were players who had, uh, who represented upside plays in Zach Eflin and Andrew Heaney. Um, they weren't able to get across the finish line. So maybe now, uh, you know, maybe I, I, what, where that leaves them is, is a little bit TBD, but um, you know, they also are able to, they aren't spending money on Bogart. So they maybe have more money to drop on starting pitching. Um, so this one is from our YouTube comments uh, from Robert Taylor. Uh, 2021 aside, is it fair to give Bloom a full five years to get us a World Series win? It's a great question. Um, and it's a funny one because uh, both Ben Sherrington and David Dombrowski got World Series wins and still didn't get five years. Um, I've been thinking about this a little bit uh, in terms of where do you judge uh, where do you judge the work of a general manager or a head of baseball ops, particularly given that, you know, that Bloom's first task was tearing down uh, the uh, the remaining parts of the structure from the championship run. Um, and, that, you know, that was kind of the job responsibility for him. Um, I, I don't I've been, you know, if you look like right now, we're all kind of saying like, oh, A.J. Preller is doing an amazing job getting the Padres. I mean, A.J. Preller had... AJ Preller made some awful trades when he uh, became the Padres uh, GM, set them back by years by dealing, for instance, Trey Turner uh, and, uh, you know, uh, went all in right out of the chute and instead ended up having a terrible product, got suspended for, you know, for rules violations. And now it's after years and years of building up uh, their farm system very deliberately, you know, he brought it to a point of, of maturity that put them in a position to make this this you know very very interesting run over the course of multiple years. Um, you know where do you you, I, you think back to I guess Andrew Friedman got to L.A. in like fifteen and there were you know the first couple of years there uh, were uh, a little bit underwhelming I think for a lot of people they were like yeah what are they doing they're taking why aren't they uh, why aren't they getting involved on top players and then all of a sudden they started this run of like. 100 wins every year in 2017. So that was a little bit faster, but he didn't really have the teardown aspect to what he was doing. Um, it's, it, it is, it is helpful sometimes to think through, uh, think through the site. I mean, let's, let's think about the Cubs, right? Theo Epstein got over there in 2012. Uh, that situation was a mess. And it was in year four that they started to coalesce into what became a championship team in year five. Um, so I, I do think that, like there's there's learning that happens on the job, especially for a first time GM, um, and I do think that uh, we don't we still don't know exactly uh, who Chaim Bloom is as a decision maker. I'm not sure that he knows. You know, I, I think that he's still uh, maybe figuring <laughs> figuring it out himself a little bit um, while trying to navigate this pretty challenging thing of uh, trying to compete short term, like they did in 2021. And also trying to build that sustainable future that allows the Red Sox to get to a, a different point of uh, kind of swings in the free agent and trade market. Um, so this is, I think we've got time for two more, if that's okay with you. Oh, hang. Cool. Um, so this is from Aaron Rook. With the World Cup being on, uh, who on the Red Sox do you think is the best at soccer? 
And then oh, they add, as Bogarts. a Brit, I feel sick calling it soccer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bogarts would have been a lock. I, I feel like Bogarts is. Uh, I, I would I would bet on Kike, like Kike or Story. Those are the two guys who are just unbelievable athletes. Um, Story, like the 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 you know you talking to people about how Story, like talking to Latroy Hawkins about how an eighteen year old Trevor Story was like throwing down three hundred like three sixty dunks over like over Latroy Hawkins and Tory Hunter while working out um, while working out at an Exos facility back uh, what in like 2011, 2012. Um, leads me to think that Trevor Story can do a lot of things athletically. But then we also see how Kike just adapts, like flows through like all over the field. And so I would think that he could be a really, really good one. So this is the last question, and it's actually it's from me. And uh, my question is, what when you were a kid, what was the team that you really that made you fall in love with baseball? And who was your favorite player on that team? Grew up in the D.C. area uh, before there were before the Washington Nationals existed. Uh, so I was an Orioles fan growing up. Very lucky that um, at the time that I started getting excited about baseball, they were good. Uh, the first time that I went to a Major League Baseball game was the 1982 season. And the second game that I ever went to was when the Orioles beat the Phillies in the World Series in game two of the 1983 World Series. So that was the team. And I'm, I'm sure that you can probably guess that uh, I was pretty pumped about Cal Ripken. Um, the first game that I went to, that one in 1982, um, I, my mom read me the game story the next day, which was written by the estimable Thomas Boswell of the Washington Post. And in it, it was revealed that, uh, that rookie Cal Ripken, about whom I knew nothing, right? Like the name knew, meant nothing to me at the time. I, it was, li- I was literally starting from a zero point in terms of baseball knowledge. My parents were indifferent to baseball, but I had enjoyed a minor league game one time. So they took me. Um, and, uh, so Thomas Boswell's story said that this rookie Cal Ripken, uh, had gotten stung in the eye by a bee just before the start of the game, uh, but he played nonetheless and ended up scoring the winning run on a walk-off two-run home run in the 10th inning. And I was like, well, that's a cool thing. Like, <laughs> a guy who's that tough, I bet it's going to be fun to follow him for his career. And, uh, you know, I then saw him play uh, every day for the next 16 years. So young Alex was a good scout. <laughs> good scout for toughness. <laughs> I would say I would say Thomas Boswell was a uh, was a was a good scout for toughness, oh, and I was appreciative of those who wrote about the game. Young Alex appreciated those who who were in a position to share insights into the game. And um, do you guys have uh, anything? Left? No, just th- thank you for for coming on and answering our questions and hanging out with us. Absolutely. Well, two hundred. So I'll see you guys. What? How, how many years have you guys been doing this to get up to 200? We started in 20, uh, right before uh, the 2021 season. Oh, man, you guys are pumping them out. So I guess that that leaves us on a path where uh, I guess maybe after after the 2023 20, season, you should have another 100 in the bank or so next offseason. We're back at this. It depends on how many minor leaguers Ed decides to get on the show. That's a, that's a reasonable one. That's that's how that was back in my podcasting glory days of uh, of doing minor details. So I feel you, Ed. Yeah, no, I, my, I'm, it, the last few years have been much. I've just been much more interested in the minors, and it's been a lot of fun being able to really get to know these guys before they've made it and kind of seeing where they're at. I can, I can relate. I can relate. Well, we'll say that it's wicked fun talking to the guys and then meeting them 
and being like, oh, hey, I'm the, you're the guy. I'm the guy. Yeah, you're the guy. <laughs> it was, uh, we had the yeah. chance, we had the chance to have Zach Kelly on and literally like, I want, what was it? Maybe a week or two after we had him on, he ended up getting the call and I ended up going up to Toronto and I see him and nobody else knows who he is. And I'm just like, hey, Zach. And he just comes over and starts talking to me. It was like, it's a super cool experience just being like, hey, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, like you're kind of getting in on the secret before it's out, right? Like that's the cool thing. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. We're maybe uh, thanks. getting the secret out, which is also very cool. Well, well, thank you again so much uh, for joining us today, Alex. Um, where can people follow you if they don't already? Uh, well, uh, for now, I remain on Twitter at Alex Spear. And that is the only place you are, right? Uh, I, I have yet to uh, I have yet to kind of uh, venture out into the other stuff, but uh, you can always find me at bostonglobe.com. There are, there are ways to find, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I, I anticipate being there for uh, uh, regardless if, of whether or not Twitter burns to the ground. <laughs> hey, well, actually, I do have a question for you. Why don't you sure. have your, why don't you have a legit check mark yet? So I used to, uh, the globe had, uh, the globe had gotten all of its writers, uh, verification. And, uh, and so I had my nice little check mark. Um, and then I changed my picture from, uh, I had this sweet picture of me with a Fu Manchu, uh, back in the day. And, uh, but, uh, when I covered the Super Bowl um, in Houston, uh, I got to go to NASA, which was really cool. And like, there was, there was like a Super Bowl party where you got to basically like pose for a picture in a spacesuit, And I liked that a lot. I was inspired by, uh, I had been inspired by a tour of NASA with astronauts. And I was like, that's awesome. I'm going to like, I want like spaceman Alex to be, uh, to be the avatar. And, uh, and so I changed the picture and I lost my check mark and never really cared enough to, uh, to get it back. So you're it, not it spending $8 on it. I wasn't. I wasn't really aware of anything that it had been doing for me in my life, so I, I was okay without it. Well, you'll be and happy to know that we it. used. You'll be happy to know that we used Spaceman Alex as part of the graphic package for this episode. <laughs> I'm. I'm delighted. I'm delighted. May we all float into happiness. You should always be happy, Alex. And on that note. On that note, we will see you guys next time. Thanks so much for joining us today. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 